0: Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. Anybody else here like me that's had situations and circumstances occur in your life and the only answer is only God. Tons of times that's occurred in my life. I hope this morning is another one of those times uh, as as we meet together where God touches us and we've been in his presence and he he is our only explanation because there is is no way fathomable that we can explain what's going on besides him, uh, grabbing it and taking control of it. We're going to talk today about continuing to study about foundational things, about the divine conception of Jesus. Now, depending on what denomination you were raised in or what kind of church you were raised in, the Catholic our Catholic friends call this the Immaculate Conception. Some of our Episc- Episcopal and Presbyterian friends do as well. You've heard this as the doctrine of the Virgin Birth before. I don't think either of those do it justice. It is God divinely entering the heart of a, the womb of a woman and placing His Son Jesus there, and. Uh, and that's important we're gonna look more as we go along in today's message. We talked in week one about the inerrancy of scripture and how everything hinges upon that, how it's, it's the basis for everything else we believe foundationally. We talked in week two about eternal security as it relates to our salvation, how when God comes in to take residence in us in the form of the Holy Spirit, that's a permanent issue where he seals us and holds that relationship intact eternally. And we talked last week about the priesthood of the believer, about our access to God, our access to all he is and all he has all the time. And today is his is uh, divine conception. Turn with me, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 7. We're going to be in Isaiah 7, John 8, and Luke 1 today. And these texts will be on your screen if you don't have a copy of the scripture. Isaiah seven fourteen says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. The Lord himself will give you a sign. the virgin will be with child. Now there are two key words in this verse, and the first one is this, is the word sign, meaning the Lord is giving the Hebrew people evidence that the baby born of the virgin is going to be the promised Messiah. Here it is the first time we see or hear about it in Scripture. So he says when this comes, when this occurs, you will know that it's him because I've, it, it's been prophesied about. And that's this divine conception was prophesied uh, in verse 14 of, of Isaiah chapter 7 now when you hear these stories about the virgin birth it's not about necessarily the, the promiscuity of, 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 of Mary between the time she was engaged and the time she was married it's, it is more than that it's, it's about the work of God in her life about how the, the God, God comes in to do something that only God can do Now, the second word here aside from sign is of course the word virgin and while uh, early Hebrew writers translated this, this, this word virgin or young woman, could be either in the Hebrew, the later Hebrew writers, Hebrew scholars, Jewish scholars translated in, that were translating it into Greek for the early church chose to translate it as virgin. I think that's significant. So why is this foundational truth so important? That she was a virgin and that God prophesied about that it's because if he's entirely human and 0% divine, he's not God and everything else should be questioned in this book, everything about him if he has been divinely conceived and we can can assume that the things that follow in his life are divine as well Uh, if he was divinely conceived, he is Messiah, he is son of God, he is who he said he was he is who this prophecy prophesies about and it is, it is uh, he would later perform miracles that began with his own miraculous conception. So the divine conception was first of all prophesied. Secondly, the divine conception was culturally known. It was culturally known. Look at John chapter 8 with me, verse 41. You are doing these things, this is Jesus speaking, you're doing these things your own father does. In response by the Jews that were following there was, we're not illegitimate children, they protested. The only Father we have is God Himself. We're not illegitimate children. Now, this dialogue in John 8 is between Jesus and a group of Jewish followers that that had been closely following Him at the time, observing His ministry. And when Jesus exposes them in verse 40 of chapter 8, they retaliate with with kind of a backhanded dig in saying here that uh, we're not illegitimate children. it's kind of a backhanded way to to, to, to retaliate for him, basically him putting it in her place to be honest with you is what it was. It was obvious that the stories that had circulated about jesus not being jesus uh, Joseph not being Jesus' father were uh, pretty widely known and if you if you uh, and, and the, the claims of divine conception were obviously questions about his his validity as as messiah uh, if you read jesus' response in the verses that follow. He clearly points to God as his father. He clearly points to to, the, to his sinless life as further evidence of his own deity. And they respond by further degrading the story and calling him a demon-possessed Samaritan in John chapter 8. In essence, this is, he, he's put them in their place. They know that he has. And they kind of come back with, yeah, you're just a demon-possessed Samaritan. It's kind of one of those, oh yeah, kind of arguments. You know, kids, five-year-olds will get into. And that's kind of the way it comes across and the way it seems. Uh, I keep waiting. I kept waiting in that response to Yeah, your mama. (laughs) That started when I was in middle school. Your mama's so ugly. Got to to tie bacon around her neck to get the dogs to play with (laughs) her. Or some such. And it was shortened as I got into high school to just your mama. You'd say something, yeah, yeah, your mama. So, I'm the guilty generation that started that. By the way, you want to point to anybody? Um, it's, uh, it, it's there. As I said, they're being put in place, and, and, and they didn't didn't like it. Weren't, weren't too pleased with it. But regardless of of how this discourse takes place, his divine conception the, or the stories about it, at least, were culturally known. They had been they had been circulating. It, it's kind of backroom. Information or back pew information, uh, or or more or less gossip. I guess is the best way to put it. It was it was circulated gossip, but it was culturally known about his his supposed divine conception. He was prophesied culturally known. Thirdly, and this gets us into the bulk of this passage that I really want to zero in on. The third thing is about divine conception is the divine conception had qualifiers. Had qualifiers. Look with me, if you will, in Luke chapter one i want to read this text to you or with you, verses 26 to 35 together. You've heard this story. We read a lot of Christmas time. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel to Gabriel to Nazareth in a town of Galilee to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One born to be born will be called the Son of God. These were the qualifiers. The virgin's name was Mary. You, you are highly favored, he says. Uh, now, Mary was his choice. He, God wasn't taking applications to be the, the, the mother of Jesus. He wasn't, wasn't, didn't send out a, a search for resumes. Mary was his choice from the beginning. I think it's important to realize that. He, he calls her here in this passage highly favored. Um, that's, that's intentional. Uh, the the, the angel Gabriel does, and that's intentional. But the, the two qualifiers stated here was that one, she is a virgin, as we see, and secondly, she is highly favored. Now, what Gable goes on to say is, is likely what scared Mary the most. She, she, she says in verse 28, he was greatly troubled at his words, we see. So what troubled her the most? I think it's what he said when he said this. Mary, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. Why? Because this was brand new theology for Mary. Jewish theology was, was such that they were the relationship with God was through the law. And so the relationships was based on their works, based on what they did or didn't do and how the law defined their worthiness to approach God and have their sins forgiven by the priest. But this idea of him being with you, that was totally brand new, brand new theology for Mary at that time and for any Jew. And so I think that's, that's probably what scared her more than, than this idea of, of uh, her bearing the, the, the Jesus as, as his mother. Um, the only relationship with God she knew, as I said, was, was based on the law. This was weighty stuff for a young Jewish girl, young teenage Jewish girl. Weighty stuff for any girl, but certainly for her. And uh, then to be told she'd give birth to the Son of God. Uh, this was, was phenomenal. I'm sure there were other teenage girls who were virgins, but not that were highly favored of God. As I said, she was handpicked before creation. For, for the for the angel Gabriel to come and give her this message. And so, in essence, she was picked before time for this time, for such a time as this. And so, these were the two qualifiers. That she's a virgin and she was highly favored. Second thing I want us to see from this text about the divine conception is this. is that The divine conception was a supernatural encounter. It was a supernatural encounter. Look at me again at verse 35. It says, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Now this encounter with the Holy Spirit sounds very similar to Saul, Saul's encounter or Paul's encounter in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says this, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows. I know that he was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things no one is permitted to tell. Uh, That was where the Holy Spirit comes and takes control of of his body in order to experience something that he would otherwise never experience. I don't know if you ever experienced anything like that. The closest thing I've ever experienced, and I've shared this with a few of you before, is my call into church-related vocational ministry. I sense God's call in my life as a 17-year-old punk that knew, that knew nothing, had some music skills, and wanted to give those back to God. And at the time, the kind of music that I wanted to write and sing and, and share was not done in church. And so I, the only venue I saw was for me to, to be a concert artist, and so that's what I started to do, to write songs and, and, and go and perform places. So... Um, but as God started to deal with me about church vocation and ministry in church, I was I was working on a horse farm and praying. Uh, one morning, the church had approached me about a position and uh, everything in me wanted to say no. Everything in me wanted to say no. I, I wanted nothing to do with standing up in front of choirs and, and everything in me wanted to say no to that. And I said, God, I'm going to need you to show up. And, and speak up because I don't, my, my heart do not want to do this. It was one of the greatest, cloudiest days I've ever seen in my life. And I, I get up from that prayer to say, God, you're to have to show up. Open the doors to the barn, a horse barn where I was at. There's a concrete pad around the barn, probably 20, 30 feet in, in circumference. I walk out the barn and <clears throat> on the greatest day I've ever seen. There's this light. I said, okay. Everything in me, it was, it was as if God showing a spotlight in front of me. It was about five foot in diameter. I look up and there's a pinhole hole up in the heavens to, to reveal this size. The, the spotlight. Everything in me wanted to step into that light. It's as if the Holy Spirit physically grabbed me, he said, "No, you're not ready for that." And I know today, I didn't know then what was why He grabbed me and said, "No, you're not ready for that," because I know today that was about my ego, because I had plenty of ego in that day. Probably still have too much. But I don't know that, that would have been about me instead of about him. Um, almost 40 years of ministry will season you into, into truths that you, you're too immature and too foolish and prudish to understand at the time, and I was that and more. Uh, but that was plenty enough for me, and so I stepped into into church vocation and been doing that ever since. But I don't know if you've ever had a, and it wasn't out of body. But as I said, it was, it was that the Holy Spirit physically grabbed me and said, no. Yes, I want you to do this job, but I don't want you to step into that because you're not ready for that. But That's about you, and let's, let's keep you out of this. Let's keep you uh, give you a servant's heart, not, not a performer's heart. And I don't know if you've ever experienced anything that, as I often say, leaves you with a whoo, top deal. But, but that's... That's what, that's what occurred here to, to Mary. And the Holy Spirit overshadows her. The Spirit says the Most High will come upon her and, and the Most High will overshadow her. Uh, the power of the Most High overshadowing her was the entry of God the Father coming into the scene to take control of her body physically. Now, and as, as such, when, when the Father shows up, the Spirit, it says, came upon her. The power of the Most High, the Most High refers to the Father himself, so the power of the Most High overshadows her. So here's, the, here's all three forms of the Trinity showing up in this scene. The Most High overshadowing her, the Spirit coming upon her, and the Son being put inside her womb simultaneously. There's only three or four times where the, all three forms of the, Spirit, of the Trinity shows up in Scripture, so when that happens, something significant is going on. You can bank on that. That's what was happening in her life and was about to happen for us, the rest of us. Uh, she responds in verse 38 by saying, in essence, my body is yours, my mind is yours, my, my womb is yours, my marriage is yours, my future is yours, all I've got is yours. That's more, less her response in verse 38 to say, may it be to me as you wish. And without Mary's Submission to, to this idea of a divine conception, you and I have no opportunity ourselves to come to know Christ divinely and experience supernaturally that deal where we, when we pray to receive Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us and dwell in us, take up residence in us. That's something supernatural that each of you have experienced if you know Christ. But that we can't experience that without her first willing, being willing to say, yes, I give you all that I am, all that I have. Use me however you wish. That was a supernatural encounter. So just as the validity of all these foundational things depend on the inerrancy of scripture, don't miss this, the ministry, the miracles, and the sacrifice of Christ on the cross all depend on this divine conception being true. Otherwise, it's either all true or it all should be called into question. If it's all true... Let's walk like it's true. If it's called into question, and finds you a God that you, you can believe in. It's all true. Uh, why is it so important? It's important because our culture is asking us to follow the science. And Jesus has asked us to follow me. Well, are we going to follow the science or are we going to follow the Savior? Who are we going to follow? How are we going to make that choice? Well, that choice is made by our knowledge of these foundational things of Scripture. If we don't know these things to be true and have tested them by our walk, we have nothing to stand on. But if we know them to be true, we have everything to stand on. Uh, Those foundational things are here to feed the mind, to nurture the heart, and to stir up the soul. And I want you to to see the power in them as we not only digest them afresh and be reminded of them afresh, but walk them out at work, walk them out in our family, walk them out with friends, walk them out at the ball field, walk them out at the bank, walk them out at the grocery store. As we learn to walk these things out and work them into our conversation, begin to speak while we believe the things we believe, while while we know the things to be true that we put to the test from this book, Because those things, if they matter to us, they're going to matter to people that are important to us too sooner or later. They're going to start to get the gist of that's what's different about him. That's what's different about her. We're going to start to see that. It's going to come out of the cracks of our conversation. It's going to ooze itself into our work, into our leisure, into all that we are. These are foundational things that we need to know what we believe and why we believe them and where to find them, where to go to is that, does that look like your walk? Does that look like the level of hunger that you're living with? Well, I pray it is in me and you too. Let's pray. Father, we're, we're here as meager vessels that you've entrusted the kingdom to. We're, we're kind of blown away by that. We're taking aback at our own frailty and our own inability to do much of value apart from you. But you entrust the keys of the kingdom to us to say, go and tell. Tell your story. Tell who I am to others. Tell what I've done for you. Share those only God moments where I've shown up in your life to be only what I could be and do only what I could do. And I'll use those stories to bring people to myself. As we found these things to be true and lived out and walked out, would you stir those things in us to change us? Help us to not be surprised by the supernatural but to anticipate it, to welcome it, even expect it. If it's been years, even decades, since, you, since you've done something supernatural in our life, I pray that you would show up this week in some way to, to reveal your godness in an otherwise human situation. I pray for every person in this room that we would leave this place different than when we came. More hungry for you. More stirred by your word. More tuned with your spirit. And as we do, get the, get, get the glory out of all of that this week for us. Out of us. For those around us. Father, we love you. Come overshadow us like you overshadowed Mary. And give us the power to walk in that truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Cross Point Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.